Last week, we began going through a New Testament letter called Galatians, written by the Apostle Paul, to a collection of of house churches and gatherings in a region found in modern-day Turkey that in the Roman Empire was called Galatia. And Paul writes to them to bring them up closer in their faith with Christ and walk with him while simultaneously addressing a problem he sees that is striking at the core of their faith and relationship with God. We began it last week. And for these next several weeks, 11 actually, we're going to continue this journey of letting the Bible speak for itself with me hopefully guiding you by giving you a path through the forest of Paul's words to see what God has to say with utter ever relevance still today. Now, in the spirit of notes and letters and emails, I got another email this week that I want to share with you today. And and for me, it actually wins, so far, email of the year. It's written from one of our high school students to me. And I'll keep his name out. But he states his name. A disciple. I was taught through men and man the inherent word of God through the Bible. Brought through groups of people and human authorities by God so that I might know Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. I myself sent this message to the pastor of Fellowship of Faith Church, David Gadini. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ great grant you Karain and Shalom. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God the Father planned. In order to rescue us from this present evil age, I must continue to seek him and look for him in his words and my life. Would you be able to set up a time to meet later this week? All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Now, if you were here or paying attention last week, Hopefully you're getting a joke. He's quoting Galatians 1, 1 to 5, almost verbatim. Rock on, brother. I don't know if you're out here today, but you made my day on that. That that, that was a great email. And Paul begins every letter in a very similar way. There's 13 letters. 13 letters of Paul that you'll find in the New Testament. And just like we begin emails all the same way, to, right, or or from, to, regarding, ancient letter writing found the same pattern. But I want to show you something that makes Galatians unique. Check this out, and I need to read this to you. I want to read to you the opening lines of Paul's other letters after the from, to, regarding. Right into it. This is where he goes. Here's Romans 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit, is preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you and long to see you. Kind of nice opening words. Would you agree? Makes you feel all kind of good and warm inside. Here's 1 Corinthians 1, verse 4. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him, you have been enriched in every way. What I love about this one is Corinthians is the most messed up church that that humanity has ever devised. His second letter to them begins this way. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. Or how about Ephesians 1, verse 3? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Dot, dot, dot. Philippians 1, verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. How about Colossians? We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. Or how about 1 Thessalonians? We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. Or the second letter to them, we ought always to thank God for all of you brothers and sisters, and rightfully so, because your faith is growing more and more and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and your faith faith in all the persecutions and trials you're facing. I won't read any more of these, all right? Are you catching a theme? Are you catching a certain tone, a feel? Check this out. Here's how Galatians comes out of the gate. I'm astonished that all of you are so quickly deserting the gospel. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But here, if even we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be under God's curse. Can I contemporize it? as we have said already, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let him burn in hell. And how you doing, by the way? <laughs> Am I now trying to win the approval of people or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ because I will tell you this. If you are trying to please people, you do not begin a letter this way. You do not begin a conversation this way. You do not begin a relationship this way. If you are in fact trying to win the approval of people or please them, you butter them up. Thanks be to God for you. Praise be to God for you. You're so wonderful. You're so amazing. And for 11 of Paul's 13 letters, he begins exactly that way. But not Galatians. No, not Galatians. In Galatians, Paul comes out of the gate blazing with shock, astonishment. How can this be true? Guys, are you kidding me? 
He comes out with what even can be seem as the harshest of language. Would you agree? Because for, for Paul, and you got to get this for Paul, the gospel is everything. See, what Galatians does is Galatians brings us face to face with the gospel. It brings us face to face. The gospel is the core and totality of what this letter is about. And I want you to hear this. For Paul, the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity. For Paul, the gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. See, I think a lot, of, a lot of people make this mistake, especially church people, especially people who call themselves Christians. They think that the gospel is for non-believers. The gospel is something to turn a non-believer into a believer. Or the gospel is something to bring someone being outside the kingdom of God to inside the kingdom of God. The gospel is something to make someone who is unsaved saved. That the point and purpose of the gospel is to get people started. But once they're in the door, it's to be added onto and built onto and taken to the next degree, improved if you will, as we who now have been brought into the kingdom of God by the gospel get down to more serious and important business. But Paul will have none of that because the gospel is not just for non-believers, it is for believers as well. In fact, the gospel for Paul is at the heart of what it means to be a believer in Christ, not just the way in but the totality of the entire Christian experience. Let me say it again. It is not just the ABCs, the beginnings of Christianity. It is the A to Z, the beginning and the end of what the Christian faith and a relationship with God is all about. And Paul knows this, where you don't have the gospel, you don't have God. Where you change the gospel, you change God. Where you build on the gospel, you start building false images on top of God. And when you say that you can improve on the gospel, you're fundamentally saying that I can improve on God. See, for Paul, he shows that the spiritual problem is not caused by failing to live in obedience to God. It's instead by thinking that you have to. And Paul sees this church, these, these collections of churches, ones that he calls children in his letter. They're like kids to him. They're like his children, many of whom he brought to faith being thrown into confusion on the core of what is most important and central to everything. Paul sees them running the risk of shipwrecking their faith because what Paul knows is that it is through the gospel that God transforms lives, 
relationships, churches, and communities. It's through the power of the gospel that God does his best work. It is through the gospel that we have connection to God. And it is through the gospel that we exist and live in him. And the gospel is this, in its most broad, general sense, whatever God does for you. The gospel is what God did, not what we do. And the central component of what God did is he came to earth to live, to die, and to rise again. The gospel is rooted in Jesus, that Jesus died and rose again. That Jesus died and rose again for you. That Jesus died and rose again for the world. That Jesus died and rose again for the universe. That Jesus died and rose again for the multiverse. That Jesus died and rose again to rescue us from the present evil age, that Jesus died and rose again to save you from your sins, that Jesus died and rose again to give you new life, to Jesus got, that Jesus died and rose again to restore a broken creation, that Jesus died and rose again to give you eternal life, that Jesus died and rose again to bring you in to the people of God, that Jesus died and rose again so that you can have a, a, a relationship with him, that Jesus died and rose again, that God did. That's the gospel. And the gospel changes everything. Without the gospel, there is no Christianity. Without the gospel, we are lost in our sins. Without the gospel, we among all people are most to be pitied. Without the gospel, there is no connection with God for Paul. The gospel is not just the beginning. One doctrine among many, it is the heart, the soul, the core, and the beating presence that encapsulates and surrounds and permeates all things. And you don't risk the gospel for anything. It is a precious thing. It is a precious thing. And any change to the gospel is a different gospel. Or as Paul says, it's no gospel at all. Anytime we add to the gospel, we distort and destroy what it is. Anytime we do the gospel plus... We pervert its very essence. You know what I mean? Jesus died and rose again for me, plus the good character and nature of who I am. That's what's necessary. That's a plus one. Do you understand what I mean? Maybe it's this. Jesus died and rose for me, plus the good things I've done as well. 
Jesus died and rose for me. Jesus died and rose for me plus the character and strength of the devotional life that I lead. Jesus died and rose for me plus going to the right church. Jesus died and rose for me plus the right spiritual practices. Jesus died and rose for me plus the right confession of faith. Jesus died and rose for me plus my personal surrender. Jesus died and rose for me plus an altar call. Jesus died and rose for me, plus a sinner's prayer. Jesus died and rose for me, plus being baptized. Jesus died and rose for me, plus doing the right religiosity. Jesus died and rose for me, plus whatever you want to put on the end. Anytime you plus one the gospel, and start to believe that that is what Christianity is about, that that is what a relationship with God is about, that that is how you are a part of his kingdom, you have perverted the gospel. And the question that Galatians has for us today and Paul had for them is this, how are you a plus one pervert? Because all of us have the temptation to be. How are you a plus one pervert? What are you so inclined to add onto the gospel to pervert the very nature of what it happens to be? Let me share with you three ways that I tend to see Christians pervert it. What is this? It's often taught explicitly by Christians or churches or even books, oftentimes more implicitly. That you are saved through your surrender to Christ, your right beliefs, or the quality and sincerity of your faith in him. What you are in essence saying is that Jesus died and rose again, but now I've got to do my part. I've got to do my thing. And it needs to be conjured up or found or based on something I do, whether it's a decision or an emotional state that I get myself into or hyping myself up and working myself up into some kind of frame of mind where God will now love, accept, and forgive me too. Guys, that's a plus one. And it's a very dangerous trend I see in churches that pride themselves on grace alone. Here's another way that I'll often see a plus one get added. It's almost the opposite. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're a good person. It sounds so welcoming and inclusive, doesn't it? But I hear it and I'm like, are you kidding me? A, are you blind to yourself? But B, do you have any sense of what the Bible has to say about your spiritual condition? Not only so, when we see the ministry of Jesus, do we see Jesus' ministry about going to good people? No, he eats with sinners and comes to the good and bad alike. And the moment that we start saying Christianity is for good people, no matter what you believe, you have just become so exclusive to people who are sinful human beings. No, Paul will have nothing of it. 
No, what God has done is true. And to say that it doesn't matter is to pervert the very essence of God's rescue plan for this world. Here's a third way. Maybe you've experienced it. Maybe you still carry the wounds. Churches that insist on a certain way of dress, a certain mode of worship, a certain conduct of behavior, not just at a moral extreme, but into what you watch and how you dress and who you date. And Oftentimes you see this in legalistic churches and authoritarian churches and churches that tend to be harsh or extreme. People who have been led to believe that my connection with God is utterly dependent on my appropriation of this cultural, spiritual expression of being. That's a plus one. It's a perversion of what God in his gospel is trying to bring. Add anything to Christ as a requirement for God's acceptance and you pervert the gospel. Anything. And Paul is pleading with these Galatian churches, hear me, you are distorting the very essence and will lose it if you start to base your relationship with God on anything other than what God has done for you. You know, Martin Luther wrote extensively about Galatians, wrote a commentary on it, and, and it was pivotal in not only his teaching, but in his own faith formation. And there's this line that comes out of the preface of his commentary that I'd like to share with you today. He writes this, there is no middle ground. There is no middle ground between Christian righteousness and works righteousness. There is no other alternative to Christian righteousness but works righteousness. And if you do not build your confidence on the work of Christ, you must build your confidence on your own work. Oh, hear this, guys. The minute you jettison the gospel, you put it all on you. You make it all about you. It all comes down to you. I just want to ask you today. When the day comes and you will die, or the day comes and Christ returns, and you stand before him, look, we're not getting out of either one of those, all right? It's coming for each of us, no matter what. When that day comes, do you want it to be dependent on you? Do you want to stand before God and let his judgment be determined on the basis of what you bring to the table? Good luck. But the gospel invites us to something different. 
God invites us to something different. To put all our dependency on him. To take heart and put faith that it is all about him. That is not what I do, it's what he did for me. The heart of the gospel is that we are too sinful to contribute to our own salvation. We are more sinful than we can possibly believe. But the heart of the gospel is that we are saved by Jesus' work and what God has done for me. And that God loves me and has done more for me than I can ever believe. And the invitation of the gospel is to throw ourselves on that mercy. It's to throw our lot in with him. It's to stand before him. I got nothing, Lord. I got nothing. I know what I am. Please, through what you have done in Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Any derivation from that? You've shipwrecked faith. You've gutted Christianity. And worse, you have severed the very thing that connects you to God. It's harsh words. Galatians 1, 6 to 10. Out of the gate, Paul gives no quarter. Because the stakes are high. Would you agree? You don't do anything to mess this up, guys. Anything. And that's what the rest of this message that Paul has to say through these amazing letters in this ancient book. Well, that's what he's going to be bringing. It's the journey that we're going to share. And so we'll land the plane on this today. I encourage you to think about it, to talk about it, to follow the faith training plan and read about it to incorporate it and, 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 and work it with God. But, but more significantly today, let's come to God as sinners. We commune today. We commune today as a way of acknowledging that he provides for us and brings us together as his community, as his body, one people, what he did, not me. Let's come to him today and throw ourselves on his mercy, admit our sinfulness, turn to him in repentance, say, Lord, <laughs> save me. Let's live it here this morning. I'm going to invite you to get on your feet.